Ephesians chapter 2. And as I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, this is now our seventh sermon as we're kind of working our way through the phrases of uh, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, I mentioned before we're doing the slower version. Uh, That was true earlier. Now we're actually sort of taking phrase by phrase um, just for that um, through the rest of the, the creed. One of the things you realize about uh, creeds and confessions like this is they they frequently grow out of out of conflict and are designed to uh, unite us. They're designed to unite believers around common biblical truth. What do we understand Scripture to be saying? Um, we come this morning to a phrase that actually. Um, demands some questions uh, because uh, when we say the words Holy Catholic Church, uh, we don't mean the same things that everyone else in the world means. And so you have to kind of define your terms. And so that's our uh, intent this morning uh, is to understand what do we mean when we actually uh, profess that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Church. So Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Uh, if you are able, please stand as we read God's Word together. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself One new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The grass withers, flowers fade, the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Uh, we pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would be at work. Uh, open our eyes, our ears to hear and to see and to understand and our hearts to embrace your word that we might, uh, by it, be conformed more and more into the image of Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know if, you ever, if you've ever um, thought about all the different ways you use the word church. Have you ever sort of sat back and examined 
When I say the word church, what do I mean? For example, when you woke up children this morning, when you woke up that sleeping spouse this morning, when you woke, I don't know, somebody up this morning and said, today's Sunday, we are going to church. By that, what we really mean is we're going to an activity of the church. That, that what we do here isn't church. We don't do church. We gather for worship on the Lord's Day. But this isn't doing church. So the reality is when we wake up our kids in the morning and say, hey, we're going to church. What we really mean is we're going to worship. So there's one way you, we use the word church. We, we use the word church to sort of imply an activity of the church, not really the church. Then again, you probably have taught your children, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, there's all the people, or where are all the people? You see, when we do that, we're teaching our children the church is a building. It's a place. It's a setting. Because you say, look, here's the church, here's the steeple, you open the door, where are the people? Well, guess what? This passage says, if there are no people, you don't have the church. That the church isn't just a building. It's not the place we go and it's not the thing that we do. Instead, it's actually who we are. Did you, did you notice the way Paul spoke of this in this passage? The church isn't a place. It's not a building. It's not a location. You can't GPS it. You can't plug it into your phone and say, Hey Siri, take me to Grace Covenant Church. She'll get you somewhere. But she's wrong. Because over and over again throughout this passage, and for that matter, pick any letter in the New Testament. When Paul says he's writing to the church at Galatia, or the churches at Galatia, or to the church in Ephesus, or to the church in Philippi, he's not writing to a building. He's not writing to a building in Ephesus and saying, hey, by the way, you once were alienated and far off from God's covenant promises. He's writing to people. The church is people. When we talk about the church, we're first, we're saying that when we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the first thing we mean is not a place and not an activity, but a people. The church is a people. But it's not just any kind of people. It's not just all people because notice the way Paul brings these Gentiles. He's writing to Ephesus. He's writing to... It's not in Israel. These are people who are not Jewish by birth. They don't have a couple thousand years of of history of God's promises and the Ten Commandments. And they can't say Father Abraham because they're not Jewish. They're from some other clan, some other tribe, some other group, some other place. That's not exactly the way Paul describes them in this passage. Because in verse 12, he reminds them, you were at once separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope. You were without God. But, verse 13, in Christ, you have all of those things. 
So the church isn't just all people everywhere, but it's all people everywhere who are in Christ. Once far off, now been brought near, who are covered by the blood of Christ, who have trusted in Him and Him alone for their salvation. All Christians, all true believers are the church. The truth is, you got to be careful saying this. So I want to be—I want to be careful. I want to be sensitive. But it's entirely possible to have church members, maybe not so much here, in other churches. But it's entirely possible to have church members who aren't Christians. The reality is, when we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we're talking about all true believers, the people who trust in Christ. We're talking about the church as God Himself sees it. I don't know if you notice or not. You can't see each other's hearts. Well, you're not supposed to. There are people out there who have seen our hearts, somebody's hearts. There are people out there who are actually slicing people open and, and looking and actually... That's not exactly what I mean there. Well, you and I can't see inside of each other. We don't know what you truly believe and what you truly trust. But when we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we're saying there are believers and there are believers all over the world and they are the true church. It's the, the true church as God Himself sees it. For that matter, even our use of the word church, it comes from a Greek word, a combination of two words to mean to call out. People who have been called out of this world and brought into another one. Who have been called out of life in, in this world to a life of unbelief and brought into this one. Isn't that sort of the image in verse 13? You in Christ have been brought near. You're, you've been transposed. You've been put into a new place. The church is people. But I also want you to notice the church is people, but the church is also one. You know, there are all kinds of people out there who uh, contend that what you and I live in right now is really just a parenthesis in the timeline of history. That God had His first plan and His first plan was with the Jews and then that kind of went awry and things got messed up and so Jesus came and now we have the church and this is the church age and there's coming a day when the church age, the, the parenthesis will close and then God will pick back up with plan A of Israel and the Jews. But did you hear the language that Paul used here? You Jews have always had the covenants and the promises and Abraham and the commonwealth. And the Gentiles, however, have not. But verse 14 he Himself, Christ, is our peace who has made us both one, not two. There aren't two churches, or for that matter, three or five or fifty. You know, you live, well, most of you, you live, if you live in Limestone County, there's something like 200 and something churches in Limestone County. 
Um, it's some astronomical kind of number, quite honestly. But when we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we mean there's one church. And it's all true believers. We have this language in verses 13 and 14 that there was once two and they're now made one, but they're made one in Christ. So there are two kinds of people in the world. It's not Jew and Gentile anymore. It's Christian, non-Christian. It's believer, non-believer. It's saved by grace or still in need of salvation by grace. We're saying we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Just one. That God's plan of salvation, there's one plan of salvation and not two. And, and it's all in Christ. He reconciled us to God in one body through the cross and killed the hostility between the two. But He's also made one new man, verse 15, in place of the two and brought peace between them. Jews and Gentiles are one in Christ, dividing walls, the hostility, that, that wall that separated Jew from Gentile. has been torn down and it's gone. And then they've been united in Christ in one body, verse 16. And that body is the one that's growing and being built up. This, by the way, has huge implications for us. We're in the South. We recognize the South has a history of of looking down on certain kinds of people for whatever reason. Racial, socioeconomic, pick your pick your 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 reason. This says that all true believers, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of, of socioeconomic, regardless of income, regardless of any of those things, they're all one in Christ. It's contrary to Scripture for us to, to look down on other races, on other people as somehow lesser. You and I would do well to, to see the world through the, the, the lens that God Himself has. These are either my children or they're not. That, that would be the lens you and I ought to use. Are we one in Christ or are you not in Christ? And therefore, rather than look down on you, we should run to you and bring you in with all of our strength, begging God to pour out His grace on them. There's no place in Christianity for multiple peoples of God, for multiple plans of salvation, for division and separation within the body of Christ. The church is people. The church is one but the church is also universal. There are um, two phrases in the Apostles' Creed that get all the questions. Uh, all the rest of them, most people generally go, okay, okay, okay. There are two phrases that we use in the Apostles' Creed that get all the questions. Descended into hell and um, 
Catholic? What exactly do you mean by the word Catholic? So those are all the questions. Did Jesus descend into hell? And if so, when exactly did that happen? And what does that look like? That's one set of questions. The other is, why do we say holy Catholic church? I thought we were Protestants. I thought we were the product of the Protestant Reformation and all of those uh, sorts of things. Well, the truth is this phrase has absolutely nothing to do with the Roman Catholic Church. It's not that at all. Um, in fact, the creed is actually older uh, than the Roman Catholic Church. The phrase Catholic actually comes from a, a Greek word that basically means according to the whole. Everywhere. It's, it's really a product of the fact that if the church is one, that if Jews and Gentiles can be brought into one household of God, then that household must be the same household regardless of where you live. Regardless of where you are on the globe. In fact, you, can, you could thumb through Scripture and see this reaffirmed for us. There are letters to Jews and there are letters to Gentiles. There are letters to Christians as far away as Rome. And there are letters to scattered Jews from Jerusalem. Uh, there are, uh, you can watch as the church grows throughout the book of Acts. And what you learn is that not every Christian in the world is just like us. That not every Christian in the world looks or talks exactly the way you and I do. There are believers who um, aren't Presbyterian. There are Christians in the world who go to Alabama. There are Christians in the world who go to Auburn. There are Christians everywhere, and it's all one church. It's all one home. It's all one body. You know, there are Christians from the north. By the way, this, this also has implications for Grace Covenant Church. We want our church to look like that. Now, I realize there, there aren't tons of Ugandans living in Athens. I understand that. So we're not going to go out and go to Uganda and grab some and bring them here and make them live here so that our can church can so that our church can look more like the worldwide church. But we want Grace Covenant Church to look like Athens. We want to, Grace Covenant to reflect whatever diversity there is. In this community, we would love to have that here. Why? Because we want our church to reflect this. Romans, Greeks, Jews. Watching as the, the church grows and expands into all parts of the globe. Think about this. When you travel... If you go to Italy, if you go to Germany, if you go to China, if you go to Bolivia, if you go anywhere, you have brothers and sisters there in this family of God that, 
that are yours, united to you. Because notice all the oneness in this passage. Jews and Gentiles were two, now made one. Why? Because there's one Father that has redeemed them, that has loved them. There's one Son, there's one Christ who has accomplished their salvation. And He's the cornerstone and we're built on Him and are to be a dwelling place, verse 22, for God by the Spirit, the one Spirit. Oh, for the day when Grace Covenant Church looks like whatever diversity there is in Athens. Because the church is universal. It's everywhere. You will notice, of course, those of you that are into grammar kinds of things, that when we print the Apostles' Creed, Catholic is spelled with a lowercase. You know, every so often, uh, about every couple of years, every two or three years, I, I run across the, um, the Reformation polka song. Some of you have seen this. Um, it's, it's sung to the tune of supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Yes. It's, but in it, at least, now let's, it's this German sort of celebration of Luther's work in the Protestant Reformation. Uh, let's raise our steins and concord books while gathered in this place and spread the word that Catholic is spelled with lowercase. <laughs> the church is people. The church is one. The church is universal. But lastly, I want you to notice the church is holy. Um, Groucho Marx famously said, I wouldn't want to be in a club that would have me as a member. Have you ever thought about the different kinds of clubs you get into during the course of your life? If you want to be in Beta Club, if you want to be in the National Honor Society, if you want to be in a fraternity or sorority, if you want to be in this club or that club, you have to spend all your time proving to them that you belong. That you're worth it. That you're one of them. You know, the church is the only organization in the world that you will ever join. That in order to get in, you have to say, I'm scum. I'm completely unworthy. In fact, you can't get in if you walk in and say, I want to join the church and here's why I should. Here are all the great things that I've done. That doesn't get you into the, the church. That doesn't get you into that club, as it were. It's the only club you'll ever join that in order to join, you have to admit and confess and do so gladly that you're not worthy of it. I didn't read the first part of Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God made you alive. 
Remember when you were, were dead in your trespasses and sins and, and dead people don't save themselves and dead people don't bring themselves back to life. If a dead person is going to come back to life, he is, or she is completely, totally dependent on someone else doing that work for them. That's exactly what the first half of Ephesians 2 says. You're dead in your trespasses and sins without hope and completely lost unless someone comes along and makes you alive, which is exactly what God says He did. I've made you alive in Christ. I've brought you to saving faith in Christ. Our salvation is all of grace. It's all by grace through faith. And even that faith is a gift. We're told in verse uh, 8 or 9, 8. Even that salvation is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And then because of that work, because of that saving work, you and I are the dwelling place for God by His Spirit. He lives in and among you. In other words, that makes the church unlike any organization in the world. It alone is the bride of Christ. It alone has been called and ordained by God. It alone is the work of God. It alone is consecrated to God and set apart by the indwelling Spirit. It alone is holy. The church is holy. The church is set apart. It's sanctified for a purpose and for a reason. Because of what God has done and for the aim, for the goal of of the indwelling Spirit and, and our growing sanctification, ultimately to live for the rest of eternity with Christ. The church is holy because the Father who called her is holy. The church is holy because the Son who redeemed her is holy. The church is holy because the Spirit who sanctifies her is holy. Go outside on a dark, clear night. Not sure that's going to be possible this week. You may have to wait a week or two. But go outside on a dark, clear night and look at the moon, especially if it's full, big, bright. I've gotten up some mornings um, and early enough that it's still dark outside and kind of walk through the den, go to let Bingley, our golden retriever, out. Mary Lyle's golden retriever. Go let him out. And it's almost like there are lights on somewhere. Like I'm, I'm walking through the, the, the den thinking we've left the light on because there's so much light pouring into uh, the, the den, dining room, you've seen our house. Only to realize it's the moon. Because that part of the house faces west and there's the bright light of the moon shining in through the front door and the dining room window. You, you realize the moon is not a source of light. It reflects the light of the sun. That's the church. The church is not a source of light in this world. 
it reflects the light of Christ to it. Oh, that we, by our unity, by our universality, by our holiness, might reflect the light of Christ to a watching world. Are you in that church? Are you a a part of that church? We just a few minutes ago saying, when by grace in Christ my trust is. When I'm trusting in Christ by His, because of His grace. The next line is, justice smiles and asks no more. God's justice stops demanding your life when you, by grace, are trusting in Christ for your salvation. And therefore are a part of this universal, one, holy church. If that's your hope, if your hope is in Christ and Him alone, this is your family. This is your household. This is your life. If not, you're not going to get into this church, Grace Covenant or, or any other, but this universal church, this holy Catholic church, by being good enough. By showing off your report card. By showing everybody whatever it is you have on your graduation road. By showing everybody at work how good you are at what you do. By sending a rocket into space. By helping your neighbor across the street mow their lawn. None of those things get you into this church. Run to Christ. And there be made one with every other believer in this room. That we might celebrate and rejoice together as one holy Catholic church. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are unworthy of our salvation. That's that's the one thing everyone in this room has in common. There may be more, there may be others, but we at the very least share the fact that we are unworthy of salvation. And yet, Father, by your grace, through your mercy, faith granted to us, you've called us to saving faith in Christ. May it be that we would take great joy and peace and comfort in the work of Christ and our status before you because of him, that he would receive the honor and the glory. And Father, those in this room who have never trusted in Christ, would you pour out your grace even at this very moment. Grant them saving faith in Christ. Grant that right now they would would bow their knee to His saving work and rule in their lives. And Father, we pray that we as a congregation, that we, Grace Covenant, would more and more reflect the unity and universality of the church, at least as far as as diversity here in Athens is concerned. Could we reflect that diversity more and more to the praise, not of ourselves, but of Your glorious grace.
pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.